Hi there. Merry Christmas. It's great to see you. Yeah. By the way, didn't these kids do a great job? It's a fantastic job that they did. They worked very hard to uh, get that song, get that song just right. Now, can I ask this? Uh, how many of you are parents? Can I ask that? Okay. Well, several of you, many of you. Um, and if I can ask a follow-up question to that, how many of you, um, when it came to naming your children, you just agonized over what name you were going to give your kids? Anybody just had a tough time? All right, several of you. Um, I, I have two kids. Um, I have my daughter, Mia, will be five next month. And um, my son, Alexander, is uh, two and a half. And uh, my wife is giving birth in four days on Wednesday to our third child, uh, who's going to be named Olivia. And um, now, now here's the thing that's interesting is that when we were naming Mia, very easy. We kind of both agreed all uh, at once uh, with Xander. It was, you know, there's a couple of names that were floating around, but we came pretty much to consensus about uh, the name Xander pretty, pretty quickly. But it took us forever to agree. I mean, it took us months uh, she was probably six months, five, six months pregnant before we decided on the name uh, Olivia. And, uh, and, you know, the weird thing is this, is that uh, you don't, I, I think before you become a parent, you don't realize how important it is, the name that you're going to give these kids, because they're going to spend their whole life with that name. And uh, I've always, you know, not liked um, the name that my parents gave me. I'm not a big fan of the name Bob. It just seems a little bit common. Um, and... Uh, but now, but I've been doing a little bit of research, and what I've realized is, is that my parents could have done a lot worse. Um, th- uh, this week, I was actually reading through uh, the Social Security Administration website. Oh, and by the way, if you ever have trouble sleeping, you might want to think about reading through the Social Security Administration website. It's a real snoozer. Um, but but um, what they publish every year, what the most popular names are, names that are on the rise, names that aren't as popular as they were 10 years ago, and they kind of give you a little bit of info. Um, And here's the the thing that I got, a bunch of stuff. Um, According to the Social Security Administration, last year, 27 boys were given the name Blue. Um, Five were given the name Cotton. Uh, Once again, I don't make this stuff up, I just report it. Um, 16 girls were given the name Reality. Um, five girls were named Dung. Uh, that's from them. Listen, and this is what I just want to tell these parents, if you don't like kids, don't have them, you know, but uh, you're messing them up. But now the Social Security Administration also said that one of the names that's on the rise in popularity is the name Palin. Uh, for girls. And so a lot of girls being named Palin. Uh, I think it's safe to say that baby Palin is going to have a tea party at some point in her life. Uh, really, that's it. That was hilarious in my head. Uh, all right. Uh, now, I did read this. Um, like, I don't, you know, I, don't, I haven't been to New Zealand. I've been to several countries, but I've never been to New Zealand. I don't really know what's going on there to the point where the government actually has to regulate what names can and can't be given that parents can and can't use. Um, And there's a list of names that they actually banned that you can try to name your kids and then the government will just kick it back and say, I'm sorry, pick another name. Um, And so some of the names that were given, King, can't name your kids King, Judge, Bishop, or Mister, um, which I think Mister would be an awesome name because then you'd be known as Mister, Mister. 
And then if you're into that band, well, you're 30 years behind. But still, it'd be, anyway, I think it could work. Um, also, there's, uh, uh, there were parents in New Zealand that tried to name their kids Metallica. That didn't work out. Uh, Elvis, the number 89, got kicked back, um, as well as all punctuation marks. So apparently some parent, like, we just really want to name him semicolon. Um, and, and it just, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You know, quotation marks, that's out too. And uh, now there were three sets of... Now, this is the part that it just gets weird. Uh, there were not one, not two, not three sets of parents that wanted to name their child Lucifer. Um, that Now, who are these people? Like, they need medication, right? Um, but they were denied. One family, this is true, you can look this up, you can Google this and you'll find it. Uh, one family tried to name their baby the number four real... For real, true story. They tried to name their baby for real. They got kicked back and they said, we don't like numbers and names. So you have to have your baby some other country to get, get, you know, get, have that happen. You can't do that here. So they kicked it back. So they said, all right, fine. And they ended up naming the child Superman. You know, and uh, it's true. It's true. Um, now, one of the things that I've thought about, I don't know if you've ever, I think about stuff like this, but you ever thought about if you could name yourself? What name would you give yourself? Um, and uh, I, I've been thinking about this since I was in high school. And um, the reason is because when I was in high school, I don't know how many of you were at church on Sunday, but I, I, I closed the service with a story about my friend whose name was Steve Sue. Uh, Steve and his family immigrated from South Korea and uh, came to America uh, to live up in the uh, Brow- northwest Broward area. Um, and, you know, we went to high school together in Coral Springs and, um, he, his name was not, uh, Steve. His name was something in Korean that to me at the time was completely unpronounceable. I had like six consonants in a row, the symbol for boron, you know, anyway, I couldn't pronounce it. And, um, and so he, he, I said, so how did you get the name Steve? And he said, well, my parents told us that we had to pick an American name. And I said, really? He said, so what did you do? He goes, well, I was watching TV one day. And there was this guy on TV whose name was Steve. And I thought, he seems pretty cool. I'll take his name. And I'm like, wow, that just seems like such a serious decision that you just made on the spot. And I'm like, what would have happened if you were watching like Alf or Mork and Mindy or something? You know what I mean? It could have gotten really weird. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. But I, I have thought because he got to pick his own name, I thought, man, what would happen if I had to go to some other country or something and I had to pick my own name? And I've decided after much consideration, I've had almost 20 years to think about this, um, I have decided what I would name myself. If I had to name myself, I would give myself the name Handsome. Yeah, it is. It would be a great name because uh, every time you walked into the room, they're like, hey, Handsome, how you doing? And they'd be like, oh, well, I'm doing great. The ladies, when you saw them, they'd be like, hey, Handsome, I'm like, that's right, what's up? You know? And, uh, and I'm telling you, you'd you feel good about yourself every time you walked into a room because everybody tell you you're good looking. And, uh, you know, and I need all the help I can get. And, you know, now, the reason I tell you all of this, the reason I tell you all of this is because in the Hebrew culture in which the Bible was written, uh, your name is what defined you. You see, sometimes we'll take a name and the name won't really mean that much and we'll have the name and we could be the exact opposite. But instead, in, in the Hebrew culture, your, you, who you were and your name were synonymous. 
So, and the reason that you were given a certain name was because of the way you acted or didn't act, what you said or didn't say, what you did or didn't do. So, in Bible times, if you were a knucklehead, they did not give you the name Tom. You know, they gave you the name Knucklehead. But what's the story with this guy Knucklehead? Well, there's a reason he's got that name. Oh, okay. And so now, so now here's the deal. So when people are curious, for thousands of years they had been asking about the Messiah, the Christ who was going to be born. And they were asking, well, what's he like? What's he going to do? What's going to happen when he gets here? What, how is this all going to work out? Here, here's what ends up taking place. That the prophet Isaiah, when he's going to describe the Messiah, the Christ, this child who is going to be born, here's what he essentially says. Let me tell you what his name is. Because if you know what his name is, then you'll understand exactly who he is. You see, the questions that we can ask, what is God like? God, This God who loves us, who wants to save us, this God whose birth we celebrate on Christmas, what, what is he all about? We learned that as well. And so listen, in understanding these names, we get an understanding of who God is. We get an understanding of the God that wants us to draw close to him, who's been seeking to draw close to us. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. Where we're going to be, we're going to look at two verses, and that's it. And I want you to uh, read with me in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And listen, what I want to do in the few minutes that we have together is simply go through these five names and quickly just describe to you this Messiah who is going to be born, this Christ who was born. What is he like? What does he want to do in your life? Because in these names is revealed what God wants to do in your life and in mine, how he wants to respond to you in the same way that he wants to respond to me. So the first thing that he says is, and his name will be called Wonderful. And if you're taking notes in your outline, wonderful simply refers to this, that he is able to meet your needs. That he's able to meet your needs. You see, this, um, this term wonderful is not like... Some, we use that in a very superfluous way in, uh, in, our, in our vernacular. And uh, we'll say, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's great. That's, that's exciting. But when we talk wonderful is a term that we would use to describe something that's wondrous, something that's miraculous, something that's great, something that's grand. Can I ask you this? How many of you have seen the Grand Canyon? Uh, you've, been, you've been to the Grand Canyon? All right, three of us. All right, the rest of you, don't die, uh, because you need to go there. Uh, this, it's, it's an amazing place. But here's the thing that's incredible, is that you're going to go there, and this is everyone I know that's been to the Grand Canyon, this is the first thing they say. They get there and they go, wow. This is unbelievable. This is wonderful. Not wonderful in the sense of like, oh, I had a flung and it was wonderful. You know, you know, no, no, no. You, you saw something that was, it took someone outside of space and time to create something this amazing. 
That's the word that he's using to describe this Messiah, this Christ, this child who was born, that he is wonderful, he is miraculous, and he is able to meet our needs. But it involves one thing from us, trust. I have this game that I play with my son. Uh, My son's two and a half, and he loves, like, jumping around and being very adventurous. So I'll take him, and then I, I, I think a lot of dads do this kind of stuff, but you'll take one of your kids, and you'll throw him straight up in the air, and then they're like, ah! And then you catch him on the way down, you know, and my son loves it. My wife, well, not so much, um, but uh, my, my son loves it. But when my daughter sees it, she's like, Bobby, do that for me. Do that to me. And I'm like, OK. So I, I grab her and I go to throw her up in the air. But as I go to throw her up in the air, she gets kind of scared. So she just like grabs my neck and, uh, you know, almost like takes my head off on the way up. And I'm like, hey, listen. There's no, you know, there's no handlebars to this thing. You just go up and then I catch you. No, 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 put me down, put me down. I don't want to do it. I got scared. Okay. And then because at our house, you know, we take turns. So Xander's there standing in line. And then once she gets down, um, you know, there's no refunds. You get the back of the line. And then um, he gets there and he's like, Bobby, up. And I throw him up in the air. Ah, it goes crazy. I catch him on the way down. And then I, I put him down. And, and then by that time, he is like, okay, I'm ready this time. Now let's do it. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Are you sure? Yes. Are you not going to hurt me? Yes. Okay. Now I go to throw her up. Boom. Grabs my neck. And it's like, ah, you know, and like, let's not do that anymore. I just put her down and, and, and I'll say, Mia, you tell me that you want to do this. And yet every time I try to do this, you almost kill me. So there's something, there's something not working here. And she'll say, Papi, I really want to go up, but I get scared. And then, because I think I might fall. And I'm like, well, the truth is, you're going to fall. But I'm going to catch you before you fall and hit the ground. So you go up, you come down, Papi catches you, and then we have a good laugh and we have a lot of fun. And, um, and I'm like, but listen, and here's what it comes down to. I say to her, I say, Mia, do you trust me? Yes, Papi, I trust you. And every time we do this, I almost get decapitated a couple times. And then I have to have the conversation of, do you trust me? And listen, what, what the prophet Isaiah and what God through the prophet is trying to say to us is that this wonderful and miraculous Savior is able to meet our needs because His resources are beyond time and space. Um, the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, I put it in your notes. He says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice something that he doesn't say God can meet all of your needs. He says, my God can meet all of your needs. And the question that we have to ask ourselves and the question that comes up to us every Christmas is the question, is he your God? Because if he's your God, then listen, he's powerful enough to meet the needs uh, that, that we have. He's strong enough to meet, to meet us where we are, where, where we're weak. There he can be and be strong on our behalf. But listen, the question that we have to ask, the question that Easter demands is the question of, listen, he wants to be wonderful in your life. He wants to be miraculous and mighty in your life, but he's got to be your God. So he says this this child is going to be born. He is wonderful. The second thing that he says is that he is counselor. The second thing I want you to note in your outline is for counselor, he is able to answer your questions. He's able to answer your questions. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, that que- the questions kind of get harder as life goes along. 
I mean, I remember um, sitting in class and the teacher saying, by the end of the school year, you're going to be able to do long division. That's what I knew the 11th grade was going to be harder than I thought. Right? No, it was actually the third grade. Um, But, you know, but listen, the questions keep getting harder. And listen, if I can tell you something a little more uh, personal that happened uh, to me about 11 months ago. Uh, My daughter, who I was just talking about, um, had a severe allergic reaction um, to uh, penicillin. And the doctors gave, uh, they diagnosed my daughter with a very rare illness, uh, an illness that has a 5% survival rate. And so we're in the um, children's hospital um, a little ways from here. And um, my wife and I are devastated. And so we're, you know, I mean, my daughter's like swelling up and her face and her hands and her feet are swelling up two or three times the size. She can't hold a crayon. She can't walk. Um, she doesn't want to eat anything. And, um, and listen, at that moment, I had all kinds of questions. The kind of questions that only get asked when you're in these life or death moments. And I remember sitting in a chair in the room and my wife had laid down with my daughter so she would fall asleep on, on the bed in her room. And I was... Um, sitting on this chair, just watching the two of them sleep, crying like I've never cried before, and crying out to God like I've never cried out to Him before, and just asking the question, um, how could this happen to me? I mean, how does this happen? And I'm telling you, and, and, I, and I can't even say that I can totally describe it, um, but I think that um, sometimes, you know, if you're a Christian, you understand this, that there's moments that God just speaks to your heart. It's not audible, um, but it's like God just speaks something into your heart and you just know that it's Him. And in that moment, God spoke something into my, my very heart and He said this. He said, Bob, I know what it's like to watch your child suffer because I watched my son suffer on a cross when he died. And, um, and listen... God was teaching me something. He was teaching my wife something and my family something. And um, that to understand Christmas is to understand suffering because the baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas came to die. That the baby in the manger 33 years later was the man on the cross. And that's why God is equipped to answer our questions because He understands the pain that we experience in life. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, he says this. He says, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let us not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. My friends, if God had never suffered, I don't think His counsel would have meant as much. But because He suffered, it's not just, well, I, you know, theologically understand what you're going through. No, no, no. Listen, I know because I felt it too. Because there's something different when we experience something um, that someone has been through. You ever had somebody who's been skinny all their, li- all their life tell you how to lose weight? Like, I hate those people. Now, I don't hate them outwardly because I'm not allowed to. I only hate them inwardly. And I don't ever talk about it. But, but it bugs me. And um, now, But the thing is, listen, God experienced 
loss, pain, suffering, rejection, all of it. And that's why when, we're, when we come to Him, we can be counseled by Him. And listen, and experience hope and peace and grace and love. So He's wonderful. He's miraculous. He's the counselor. He's able to answer our questions. But He's also, number three, He's mighty God. Mighty God. That term, mighty God, in, in Hebrew could also be translated hero, valiant, great, champion. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing that like most kids think about their dad, that their dad is like this. Um, my daughter, um, as I, who I've mentioned a few times, is almost five. She thinks I can fix anything. I'm like the MacGyver of dads. Uh, I can fix anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, the other, it was a little while ago, my daughter was on her bike and the little bell you know, those little bells that you have, the bell broke. And the reason it broke is because she broke it. And that she was pulling it when it should have been pushed or pushed when it should have been pulled or whatever. And the thing broke. And so, you know, um, she says to my wife, Carrie, she says, Mommy, this broke, but it's okay. I'll tell Poppy and he'll fix it. So I get home uh, from, not, then again, my daughter also thinks I'm a ninja. So that's just also another part of it too. Which Then again, she thinks I'm a ninja because I told her I was one. Um, but that's another... This is a story for another time. Um, so I get home and she says, Bobby, can you come fix the bell? And I'm, I'll take a look at it. And I see that there's a little plastic piece that just totally broke off. And um, even if you glue it back together, it's not going to have the, the, the kind of force to be able to withstand the pulling of the little bell. And I said, Mia, you can't fix it. So we'll just, when we go to Target next time, we'll just, we'll just buy a new one because they cost like a dollar. So it's not a big deal. And, and she had this look like, what are you saying to me? What do you mean you can't fix this? And she's like, but Bobby, you're going to fix it, right? I'm like, Mia, this thing is not really fixable because, you know, this thing was not very well made to begin with. What are you saying? I mean, it was like over and over. She's like, are you sure? And listen, because kids think that their dads are mighty like this, that they're heroes, champion, valiant. Listen, if we would be honest, we would say that many times we think of that about ourselves. That we're big, that we're tough, that we're strong, that we're invincible. And, um, and especially when we're real young. If you're here and you're in like your teens or your 20s, you're, you feel like you're invincible. And to some degree you are. Um, you know, and now uh, you start getting older. And I, I'm getting a little bit older. I'm, I'm 38, so I'm knocking on the door of 40. But I, I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ripening. Which I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting ripe. And when I get ripe, who knows when that happens. But I feel like I'm ripening. At least that's what I tell my wife. Um, and, uh, and so, but I used to think that I was indestructible. Now I have all these pains in weird places, you know, and, uh, you, you never have this, like, I, you have these conversations, like, there was a time in, in your life that you'd have these conversations with your friends about, like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Now I talk to my friends and it's like, like, how long can you sleep before your back starts to hurt? Like, that's the conversation I have. We have these long conversations about what antacid is really best, you know, because that's the thing, like, things just start changing. Um, you know, I used to, you know, there was a time when you could eat whatever you want and you didn't gain weight. Like, well, that ship has sailed. Um, and uh, now, like, all of my meal selections at restaurants are based on what will or won't give me heartburn. Um, and it's like, you know, so the whole, like, I'm indestructible and invincible, like, I'm not really thinking about that anymore. But here's the difference. The difference between sometimes where we might think we're mighty and the difference between us and this child, Jesus, who was born, who's mighty God. Because this child who was born was both God and man. 
that Jesus was born human to sympathize with our weaknesses and understand what we're going through. But He's also God, which makes Him strong enough to deal with the challenges that we experience. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it's in your notes, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Listen, that verse gives us a glimpse and an insight into human nature. That we have this, um, this pendulum and it's either we're either going to trust in ourselves or we're going to trust in God. And the verse is saying to us, listen, trust God over everything else or anyone else. The reason being is because when we think that we're wise enough or smart enough or strong enough to handle it, we're trying to make ourselves the hero of the story, but we aren't the hero of the story. Jesus is the mighty God who was born. He is the hero of the story. And He's the one who's able to overcome the challenges that we face. He's able to overcome your challenges. Number four is this. He's everlasting Father. And that is, He's able to stand with you. He's able to stand with you. The idea behind this verse of everlasting Father is the idea of that He is the Father of eternity. That He created eternity, that He created the universe, that He created the the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. That one of the wonders of Christmas is that the God, the eternal God who transcends time, entered into time and dwelt among us. And not only did He enter time, but He told us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He's always with us. In fact, that's one of the reminders that we have at Christmas. Because one of the names that are given of Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 1, I put it in your notes in verse 23, it says the virgin will be with child and will bring forth a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And my friends, what that means is is that no matter how bad things get, God is with us. No matter what it is that you're going through, God is with us. No, it doesn't matter if everyone else in your life has taken off and told you to pack sand and that they're gone and it's over. Here's what God says. He says that Jesus is God with us. You see, because humanity was lost. Our relationship with God was severed because of sin. And what did God do? He did not leave us in our fallen condition and in our severed state. Instead, He sent His Son to create a way for us to have a relationship with Him. And that's what brings us to the last one. He says, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. And the last one is Prince of Peace. And that is that He is able to give you peace. My friends, peace of mind is big business. Have you noticed that? That that's like you, you, if, you, if you slow down, you don't fast forward the commercials, um, you'll see that that's what every, um, every company is selling. And they play on our fears and our desire for peace to get us to buy their product, whatever it is. I mean, you know, they're not just selling, hey, buy our bubble gum. Here's what they'll say. Do you have bad breath? And then they'll, they'll show a guy, like, walking up to a girl and say, hi. And he's like, oh, you know, and it's like, and then all these visions of him, like, marrying the girl are all gone. Why? Because he didn't chew the bubble gum. And it's like, chew our bubble gum or you'll never get married. Give me a case, you know. And, 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 and that's what it is. You know, then there's another commercial where a guy's at a party and he's dancing, and then, you know, it's this line, do you sweat more than the average human? Are you sure? I don't know. Am I? You know, should I? And it's, you know, right? And, and you get this, this, this whole thing happens. It's like, 
They just start playing on, on our fears. And listen, what if, what if peace, as much as we will chase it, is not found in something that we buy? It's not an insurance that we get. But what if peace is actually a person? What if peace is a person and the closer that we get to that person, the more peace that we experience? You see, the Bible talks about uh, peace in two different ways. It talks about the peace of God and then it talks about peace with God. You see, the peace of God is a trust, a supernatural trust in God that we know that everything is going to work out the way things are supposed to work out. In fact, it would say this in the book of Philippians. I put it in your notes. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But here's the deal. Is that we can't experience the peace of God until we have peace with God. What do I mean? Here's last verse in your outline, Romans chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. My friends, peace with God is a byproduct of coming to know Jesus, of asking Him to forgive you of all of your sins because He died for us. Because for those of us that are Christians, it might sound a bit odd to say, but before coming to know Jesus, we were at odds with God. And it was when we came to God and surrendered to God that here's what happened. Then, once we surrendered to Him, that we had peace with Him. And once we experienced the peace with God through the cross of Jesus, now God then graciously gifts us the peace of God, that peace that just surpasses all understanding. You see, my friends, Jesus came into the world that we celebrate on Christmas. And He died because the baby in the manger became the man on the cross. He died and then He became the man in the tomb. But then He became the man who rose from the dead and now offers us forgiveness and life and hope and peace. And listen, you might be here today and you might uh, have never experienced that. You might have heard about it. You might have longed for it and you say, I don't even know how to get that and experience that peace that surpasses all understanding. How can I have the grace of God come into my life, the mercy and love of God come into my life? And here's how it comes into your life the same way it comes into my life. See, 19 years ago, I was in my brother's kitchen and my brother shared the simple message of Christmas, the message of the gospel, that God came into the world in the form of this child, Jesus. That child grew up to be a man, and the baby in the manger became the man on the cross who died, who was buried, and rose again, and now offers us forgiveness of all of our sins and forgiveness of our past. He offers us peace in the present, and He offers us hope for the future. And so, my friends, we're going to pray in just a moment. And listen, maybe someone brought you here, maybe you came here by some other way, but you're, you're here, and this is the very reason why God brought you to this place. is because He wants you to experience the real meaning of Christmas. The greatest Christmas gift that you could ever get is to experience the love of God and the forgiveness of God through Christ Jesus today. So we're going to pray in a moment, and then I'm going to invite you 
to make that decision if you do want to make that choice today and invite Christ Jesus into your life and allow him to change your life and give you the love, the peace, the joy, the forgiveness that you've been looking for your whole life and still haven't found. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Christmas that you sent your son, that God, even though all of us have fallen short of your standard, you didn't leave us in that fallen condition. Instead, you called out to us. You brought your son into the world. He died for us. He rose again and now stretches his arm in our direction that we might experience the forgiveness and restoration of our relationship with you. Listen, while every head is bowed and um, every eye is closed and as we're praying together, and if you're here and you say, Pastor Bob, this is why I'm here. I want to experience the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God. I just never knew how to obtain it. It's a free gift. It's the greatest Christmas gift you could ever get. How do you get it? The Bible says this, that whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he'll be saved. And so, if you want to do that very thing and just invite Jesus to come into your life to forgive you, to say, God, I'm surrendering and I want you to be my Lord. If that's where you are, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me, to repeat a prayer with me. And it's not a magic formula. Instead, it might be um, my words, but I pray that it expresses what you want to say to God. So if you're ready, just say out loud. I know many people in this auditorium are going to be saying it as well. Just say, Dear God, I open my heart and I invite you inside. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. Starting right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.